You're listening to a podcast from Victory. Jesus is Lord over all. Learn more in week two of the Apostles' Creed. We are now looking at this particular creed that was basically passed on to us by our early fathers. And this is one of the basic tenets of our faith. There are several creeds that were written uh, in the past. This is the earliest of them. You know, the reason why they wrote this creed is so that we can actually have a defense of our faith because during that time, there were a lot of heresies that were coming out about questioning about the divinity of Christ. They were saying that, yes, Christ is indeed God, but He is lesser than the Father. So there were so many schisms and heresies during that time. And so the Apostles' Creed uh, was written together with the Nicene Creed and Athanasian Creed and Chaldean Creed so that we can actually have a clear understanding of what our beliefs are. And so when you talk about a creed, a creed is a set of beliefs which guides someone's actions. And so when you talk about uh, I believe, it comes from the Latin word credo. Okay, everybody say credo. It literally means I believe. Okay, that's the reason why you know you've, uh, you're we're so familiar with this. How many of you are familiar with the Apostles' Creed? How many of you still memorize the Apostles' Creed? You can actually verbatimly just recite it without the, the guide, okay? Some of you still remember that. We want to be able to uh, just look at that in the next seven weeks now, six weeks left. Uh, it's not about us putting our faith in the creed. What we're preaching really is the scripture behind the creed. And the reason why we're doing this is, number one, we want definition. Everybody, everybody say definition. definition. Okay, we want to be able to define our beliefs, okay? And so we want to bring clarity, what are the salient points or the tenets of the gospel? What are we believing in? Secondly is you want to be able to defend. We want to correct error. If there are some wrong mindsets on the Trinity or who Christ is or uh, who the Holy Spirit is in our lives, we want to be able to address that. And so the, the purpose, the, the reason why the early fathers did that is so that there is a succinct a way for them to communicate what they believe in. And thirdly, it's all about declaration. We want to be able to declare what we believe in. It's for spiritual formation. Uh, early on, early church, many of them don't know how to read nor write. And so one of the best ways for them to be able to transfer uh, the faith is by memorizing the creed. And so they have a basic understanding what they believe in. Because at that time, you know, the Roman era... Uh, what happened was there was some sort of syncretism uh, that they did. So they embraced Christianity, but they did not let go of their pagan practices. And so it was a hodgepodge of faith and belief. And so what they did was the early fathers wrote this so that it's a basic uh, for spiritual formation for young believers in the faith. Of course, our goal in this next few weeks is not to preach the creed. We're here to preach the scripture behind the creed. Because how many of you know that it's the spirit, of, it's actually the Holy Scripture that can change us from the inside out. Amen. You know, the, there's power in the word of God. The Bible says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every what? Word that comes from the mouth of God. You can do it, church. Come on. <laughs> okay. From the mouth of God. Okay. From every word. Everybody say every word. From every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, maybe you've probably seen... How, how many of you have seen the moon lately? How many of you have tried, you know, looking out 
uh, at night, maybe walk around the village and appreciate the beauty of the moon. Maybe it's kind of like this big, or not really that big. But, you know, if you're looking at the full moon, have you ever wondered where it gets its power to emit lights? Does it have the capability to emit its own light? Of course, we know that. Uh, where does the light come from when you talk about the moon? From the, from the sun. Very good class, okay? This is your science uh, 101, okay, this afternoon. Of course, the light does not come from the moon itself. It merely reflects the light coming from the sun, okay? So the light really comes from the sun. It, we, we look at the creed kind of like the moon. You know, in it by itself, there's no power to change lives. The power to change a life really comes from the scriptures and the Holy Bible. And so the sun basically is the one that emits the truth and the moon merely reflects it back to planet Earth. And so I'd like to invite uh, everyone to stand. We're, we're going to be reciting and declaring the Apostles' Creed. And I want us all to also prepare uh, our scriptures by opening to uh, John chapter 1. We'll, we'll be reading uh, John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 14. We're going to be focusing today on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, Apostles' Creed, uh, I'd like to invite everyone to read along with me out loud with your beautiful voices. Ready? One, two, three. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Of course, we know that the Holy Catholic Church that is being referred here at the Creed means universal. It is not referring to the Roman Catholic Church, but it refers to the Holy Catholic Church. In fact, if you look at the Nicene Creed, it's more detailed. It says, I believe in one Holy Catholic Apostolic Church. So that is what the Creed says. Okay, So we're part of the Church of God which Jesus will return to one day. How many of you know that Jesus is coming back one day for His glorious church? And that's us. Not just victory, but the church in general, the universal church, the Catholic church. So I'd like to invite everyone to open your Bibles to John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We'll just read two verses this afternoon. John chapter 1, verse 1, and then we'll jump to verse 14. Now, for those of you who don't have a Bible, no problem. I actually also put it on the keynote today, all right? So you can just follow along with me. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Let's read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's now jump to verse 14. The Word was, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to learn from you and the Holy Spirit this afternoon. We thank you, God, that you will speak to us. Uh, we pray, God, that you would anoint the preaching of your word, and may you open up our hearts to receive from what you have to say. Thank you, Lord. We declare once again that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives. We thank you for him saving us from all our sins. 
We, Lord, we are always grateful and we will forever declare our gratitude for Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. We're looking at the person of Jesus Christ. And as we have declared earlier, it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Now, if you look at Google, for example, how many of you use Google normally when you use your computer? Okay? Parang, what is computer without Google nowadays, right? You know, when you talk about Google, Google really is all about information, isn't it? If you're looking for something, sometimes instead of asking your wife or your husband, you just go to Google, right? Or, you know, sometimes instead of praying to God, you just go to Google. You know, I, I hope that we all go to God first before searching the Google, okay? Or search the scripture first before searching Google. But, you know, yeah, Google is a powerful search engine. And if you look at Google, and if you try to find out the seemingly the most Googled name in the internet universe, if I may say it, uh, according to Google, if you type the name Jesus, what will come out is about 583 million searches or things about Jesus. You know, talking about the most maybe influential or famous people uh, in the world. If you look at, or for example, if you search the name Barack Obama, for example, you'll only find out there's about 175 million times uh, or, or features on this name. And if you try to Google the name Prophet Muhammad, that's only about 17.3 million hits. And so we would find out that there are so many people who are really interested in finding out who Jesus is. Would you agree with me on that? That somehow people have a basic knowledge and interface with the name Jesus. And so my question for us today is, who is the Jesus that we know? And do the people around in the world really know who Jesus is? And what is the significance of Jesus in their lives? You know, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus brought his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. We were blessed to be able to visit that a couple of weeks ago, me and my wife and some other pastors of Victory. Uh, we visited that place and, you know, later on I'm going to show you a picture. And it's amazing that that is a place where there's so many temples. Uh, it's a place that Herod built for Caesar. And aside from the temple that he built there, there were so many other religions that were being observed in that particular area. Jesus basically asked his disciples in that place, you know, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say you are who? John the Baptist. Others say Elijah the prophet. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Here we realize that there are so many opinions or so many things that people think about whenever they hear the word Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul reminded the church in Corinth about you know being careful if anyone presents a different kind of Jesus. And he said this, For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, and who is this Jesus that the Bible is talking about? Because nowadays, how many of you know that there are so many concepts of who Christ is? And later on, I'm going to show you some. And he says, If you receive a different spirit from the one uh, you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. 
And so if you look at even nowadays, you know, back in the first, second, third century, there are so many different understanding of who this Jesus is. They're saying he is the way. They're saying he's, they're questioning his divinity. They're questioning his humanity even. But nowadays there are different beliefs on, on Christ. Jehovah's Witness would say that Jesus is the Archangel Michael in the flesh. That he was sent by the Father to basically say a message here. The Mormons said that Jesus is the husband of Mary, Martha, and Mary Magdalene, that he's actually a polygamist. That he is the spirit brother of Lucifer before he became uh, Satan. That he was the one chosen to be uh, walking here on earth. The Unitarian Universalists. This is known for one church, many paths. They believe that every religion goes back to God anyway. And so for them, Jesus is just a creature, a created being that can be followed. The INC, how many of you know what the INC stands for? Iglesia de Cristo, okay? Iglesia de Cristo says that Jesus is just a man that they worship. Okay? Uh, ang dating daan, hindi ang tamang daan, tuwing the daan, okay? okay? Dating daan, Jesus is a mighty God, inferior to the Father who is Almighty God. How many of you know that, when you look at that, maybe, ah, okay, that's probably okay. But in reality, there's something that is wrong there. Because how many of you believe the Trinity, in the Trinity? How many of you know that there's only one God, and how many persons in, God, in the Godhead? Three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the three, these three persons are co-equal, co-eternal, same essence, and same substance. There's not one who is above the other. God the Father is not above the Son, and the Son is not above the Holy Spirit. Every one of them plays a unique role, but each one of them is co-equal with each other. That's why this is a schism. This is, we need to be very careful about the way we believe. If we, if we say that, oh, Jesus is, yeah, lower than the Father, then there's something wrong there already with our belief. You know, another religion, okay, from Davao, the religious leader in Davao, who said, Jesus assumed the position of the Father while he, this religious leader, already assumed the position of being the Son of God. Of course, you know that already, okay, that his name is Kiboloy, okay? He's claiming that he is Son of God now, appointed by God right here on earth, and God chose the Philippines to be kind of like the next Jerusalem, something like that, particularly Davao. Oneness. Jesus plays the role of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That There's no distinction. Islam. For them, Jesus is not the Son of God, but just a prophet, Isa. For the Hindu, Jesus is just one of the many or the thousands of demigod. Okay? In fact, related to Vishnu, according to them. For the atheists or the agnostic, Jesus is just a good moral teacher, an example to follow, nothing more. He's not God, but he is just a historical figure that you can actually emulate. The, unbel- the unbelievers, Jesus is a good historical figure, but irrelevant in their lives today. There's even uh, you know, like some Christians who go to church. Okay? They're known as nominal Christians. Of course, it's kind of hard to reconcile this word nominal Christian. Okay? If you're a Christian, you're either a Christian or ain't. Okay? Uh, but, you know, according to some people, you know, nominal Christians are, they treat Jesus like a genie in a bottle. Or maybe a vendor machine that when you pray, you actually put a token in the vendor machine and out comes your answer to your prayer. Something like that. Okay? 
But who is the Jesus that we believe in nowadays? Is He really just someone who will provide for our needs? Yes, that's so true. How many of you know that God is our provider? Amen. Is He someone who is just a healer for us? How many of you know that God is our healer? He's Jehovah Rapha. God is a mighty God. He's El Shaddai. But yet, is that it? Or do we really understand who the Bible says Jesus is? And what is His impact in our personal lives today? Going back to what Jesus was asking His disciples, He asked them, Who do people say I am? And so they answered, and then He turned to them personally. And then He asked in verse 15, But what about you? Turn to the person beside you and ask that person, What about you? Come on, turn to the person beside you. Come on, everybody, turn to the person beside you and ask that person, What about you? That get on, okay? Who do you say I am? I mean, what about us? What is our perception and our belief of who Christ is? And then the leader of the band, or the leader of the pack, okay? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Because that is a revelation that I believe the Holy Spirit gave to Simon Peter. For a couple of years, they were observing Jesus. He's a miracle worker. He's a good teacher. He taught in the, you know, Sermon on the Mount. And he multiplied the bread and the fish. And he healed the sick. And he did a lot of miracles. But yet, for some reason, it clicked on Peter who Jesus was. And he was declaring, you are the Christ. He was declaring, you are Messiah. The anointed one. The son of the living God. Now for the Jews, when you say someone is a Christ, that's fine. Because when you talk about Christ or Messiah, it means anointed one. They addressed Christ to their kings. When they would actually refer to kings, they would address them as Messiah or anointed one. For example, when David was being pursued by Saul, remember that time? And uh, the people were saying to him, why didn't you, you know, take this opportunity to kill Saul? He said, you shall not touch the anointed one. Do not touch the Messiah. He was not referring to Christ, he was referring to the king. Peter was declaring, you are the Christ. You are the king. You are the Messiah, the anointed one. But he did not stop there. The son of the living God. Now this is very controversial for the Jews. The moment you declare that a person or a human being is the son of a living God, that's heresy for the Jews. Only Jesus himself can claim that he is indeed the son of the living God. And that is a revelation. Everybody say revelation. Revelation that came only from God. And then Jesus said this in the next verse. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. By the way, Jesus said this, that he will not build his church upon Peter. He was not referring to Peter as the rock. If you translate, because some people are saying, yeah, isn't Peter's name mean rock? No, his name means pebble. Okay. It is a small, little rock, okay? But we're not talking about the rock because what Jesus was referring to the rock is really the revelation of Christ. That particular rock of the revelation that Christ is, you know, Jesus is the Son of God, is where the church 
will be built. And how many of you are thankful that the church is not built on a man, but on God Himself? Amen. Amen. That's why He said, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You know, when we went there a couple of weeks ago, we actually went to the spot where Jesus was talking to the disciples. And so when He said, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, He was actually pointing to this gate. Because, you know, the Hebrews call this particular mouth of the cave Gates of Hades. That's the name of that cave. And around that cave are several temples. You know, one of the temples there is the Temple of Pan. Okay? They don't break bread, uh, bake bread there, okay? It's a Temple of Pan. It's a belief of pantheism. Okay? Pantheism is the belief that says God is everything and everything is God. Like the chair that you're sitting on is God right now. Okay? This hotel is God. You know, this, uh, this microphone I'm using is God. Something like that. That's a very dangerous belief. Okay? Some other temples that are there, Temple of Nemesis, Temple of the uh, of Baal, uh, Temple of the Dancing Goats, believe it or not. There's a Temple of the Dancing Goats. I don't know why they name it that way. But basically, when Peter said this, he was declaring that you are the Christ. You are the king, and you are the one who can actually establish your authority and rulership over this earthly religions and over every religion in the planet. That is very significant for them. That's why when he declared that, he said, No one said to you this, but only my Father will be revealing this to you. Our salvation basically is hinged on the identity of who Jesus Christ is. Who is the Jesus that we worship? What's the picture of Jesus that you have in your heart and in your mind? I was reminded of this story of a uh, little Italian boy who went to his mother. He was the son of a, an Italian mafia leader. And so one day he went to his mother and he said, Mama, Mama, I want to have a bicycle. So it's an Italian accent, something like that, okay? I want to have a bicycle. Something like that. And so the, the mother said, I want you to go to your room and go and ask Papa Jesus. And so the little boy went to his room and started kneeling and asking, Papa Jesus, Papa Jesus, give me my bicycle. So for several days, he was actually praying and asking for a bicycle from his Papa Jesus. After several days, he went back to his mother and he said, Mama, Mama, where's my bicycle? I don't seem to have any answer to my prayer to Papa Jesus. And so he said, go back to your room again and pray to Papa Jesus. And once again, the little boy, you know, obeyed his mom and, Papa Jesus, Papa Jesus, give me my bicycle. After about a week, no answer. Went back to his mom, Mama, Mama, what's happening to my prayers? Go back, you've got to be patient. So for the last time, the boy went back to his room. And what he did was, he saw the image of the Virgin Mary. He took that image, put it in a sack, tied it, and hid it under the bed. And then he, uh, you know, once again knelt down and prayed this prayer. Papa Jesus, Papa Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, you better give me my bicycle. Of course, I'm not really sure if that is a real story, but... But the point is, this little boy had his own idea of who Jesus is. That somehow he can actually manipulate God to giving him what he wants. And how many of you know that ultimately when you talk about Jesus, He is the Lord, He is the Christ. Amen. He calls the shots. 
we don't call the shots. Amen. We obey Him and we submit to Him. And we revere Him. And we stand in awe of Him. Amen. Come on, can we just give the Lord praise and appreciation to our Lord. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Basically, I just have two quick points this afternoon. Two natures of Jesus. And I'm pretty sure that you are familiar with this. First nature of Christ is His divinity. Everybody say divinity. What does divinity mean? That Jesus is fully God. He is not half God and half man. You know, He did not relinquish His divine attribute when He became man just like us. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, we read this earlier, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Somehow here in this one verse, you would see already the reality and the truth that Jesus was already there from time before it began. Before the creation of the heavens and the earth. And last week, I believe Pastor June talked about God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. And in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. And it was proving the fact and the existence of Jesus Christ in the beginning of time. And it says, and the word was with God. It's not just talking about, of course, it's talking about the Trinity here. That he was with the Father and he was with the Holy Spirit. And then it says, and the word was God. It's declaring that the word it's himself is God. Of course, we will move forward later on. That, you know, and the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. You know, this God... Jesus that we worship is one of the triune persons in, in, the, in the Holy Trinity. He is powerful. He is divine. He is sovereign. Jesus was before all things. He walks in divine authority. He has power over everything. That's who Jesus is. And to establish who he was, you know, when he showed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, God said to Moses in the burning bush, I am who I am, and this is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Basically, this is an introduction of the name of God. And what Jesus Christ was saying in John chapter 8 is a reflection of that when God appeared to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And he said, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that. I am. You will indeed die in your sins. Basically, this is just showing the authority and the attribute and the identity of who Jesus is. That He is indeed God. He was establishing His divinity. He was establishing His authority. He was establishing His power. I am. is a summary statement of I am whom you need me to be. You know, He is the great I am. That's why even in the book of John, we see the different I am's of Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. It's a declaration of who He is and His authority and His sovereignty over all the elements of the earth. 
Therefore, the whole point of the Bible really is just to point us back to Him. Everything in the Bible, everything in the Word points us back to who Jesus is. Can you imagine when Jesus was actually walking on earth? He could speak to the storm, be still, and it became still. That's why even the disciples are saying, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Have you ever tried stopping a storm? I mean, for example, when Milenio came or when, you know, what's the, I'm not sure what the late, latest storm was. You know, like, we're declaring, in the name of Jesus, go to, no, don't go to any country, okay? You gotta be careful, hello. Go to the Pacific Ocean, something like that. Go back to where you came from. And did that storm just dissipate? No, but when Jesus was walking on the Sea of Galilee, and there was a mighty storm, and you know the reason why that Sea of Galilee would just instantly produce a storm is because it was actually in the lower part, one of the lowest part in in uh, in Capernaum, and it was surrounded by mountains. When the cold air would go down, and it would hit the hot air, you know, there's going to be like a uh, a smashing of different pressures, something like that. And there's going to be a mighty storm. My first time I went there, literally in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, there was instant rain. Even when we, actually when we went out, it was bright and sunny. You know, just instantly like that. Okay. And so I, I realized that, wow, it can actually just, you know, just in a, in a moment's time, there can be a storm. But yet Jesus would not be stopped by any storm. In fact, at that particular story, he was sleeping. And the disciples woke him up. Master, don't you care if we drown? And we know that Jesus kind of woke up. He was really deep in sleep. Maybe he was tired. He was a man. He was a man. So he was tired. The moment he woke up, shut up! No, he didn't say shut up to the disciple. But he said, shut up to the storm. And indeed, the storm stopped. I mean, no one can actually stop a storm. Another picture of this is when the paralytic was brought by four friends. And the house at that time, Mark chapter 2, that, that house, Jesus went home. And we were assuming that the house that he was preaching in is the house of Peter. Because that was his house in Capernaum. And the house was full of people because he was healing the sick. And the four friends of the paralytic went up the roof, can you imagine, and had the audacity to bore a hole. Do you have friends like that? <laughs> they would actually do damage so that they can actually save you. I mean, what kind of friends do we have? So these are the four friends. They lowered the mat. And when Jesus saw the paralytic, what did he say to the paralytic and the friends? You know what? For the first time, he said, your, your sins are forgiven. He didn't say, uh, Lord, you know, I want to walk. I don't want to be forgiven. Of course, the need of the hour at that time was that the, the person wants to walk. He was a paralytic. They were desperate. But Jesus said this, Go, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders heard that and they said, That's blasphemy because only God can forgive sins. You can read your Bible there, Mark chapter 2. And Jesus, the Bible says, He's God. He's omniscient. And He heard that. He knows their thoughts. Which is more difficult or harder? To forgive sins 
or to make a lame person walk. But so that you won't question anymore that I have the authority to forgive sin, he spoke to the paralytic, go get up and walk and pick up your mat and repair the roof. Oh, no, that's not, part of the, that's not part of the story, okay? But he said this, pick up your mat, go and walk, and the man, the paralytic man, got up and walked with his sins forgiven. Only God can do that, amen. How many of you are thankful that God forgave us our sins as well? Amen. Come on, give the Lord praise. Jesus not only had the authority to multiply the bread, to walk on water, to stop the storm, but He had the authority to forgive us from our sins. Because He was the one who paid the price. He bore our sins on the cross 2,000 years ago. And he had the authority. Pastor Rain read that earlier. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Therefore, we need to go out and talk about it to other people. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 7 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, what kind of God are we worshiping? The God who's willing to humble himself and go out of heaven and go down to planet earth and become a servant in the form of a man just like you and me. He did not relinquish his authority or divine attribute, but yet he took the form of a servant. That's why I believe he was there to fulfill one thing and one thing only. And that is to do the will of his Father in heaven. He had to become man so that he can fulfill the purpose why he was sent. That's why God elevated him and we, we know this. You know, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Is he healer? Yes, he is. Is he provider? Yes, he is. Is he a good moral teacher? Yes, he is. But ultimately, who is this Jesus that we're worshiping? Jesus is ultimately the Lord over our lives. And when you talk about Him being Lord, it means that we need to be loyal to Him. Amen? It means that we are to be obedient to Him. That we are to daily repent of our sins and go to Him and obey Him and die to ourselves, just like what He did on that cross. I was reminded of a story of Abraham Lincoln before the end of the slavery in America, what he did was he purchased one slave girl for the purpose of freeing this slave girl. The slave girl did not really understand the transaction, but once she was bought from the owner, Abraham Lincoln basically gave her the papers and said, you are now free. And the, the girl was you know, taken aback. I said, you know, what do you mean I'm free? You just purchased me and I'm now your slave. And he said, the reason why I bought you is that I can set you free. And the girl said to Abraham Lincoln, does that mean that if I am free right now, I am free to choose anything that I can do and go anywhere I want to go? And Abraham said, yes, you're free to do anything you want to do and go anywhere you want to go. And the girl said this, I choose to stay with you and serve you for the rest of my life. She was being set free, but because of her gratefulness, she became loyal to the then president and served him as not a slave this time but as a free man yet serving the president. And I believe the reason why we can go back to Jesus and say Jesus is Lord 
is because ultimately, Christ has set us free. Amen. Whom the Son says free is free indeed. We're freed from our past. We're freed from our sickness. We're freed from our, you know, our pains, our curses. We're freed from the, from the bondage of sin. And we can do anything we want. But yet, why are we serving Him? It's because of a grateful heart that we have, knowing that Christ gave everything for us. If Jesus is not fully God, then He cannot save us. He has to be God. That is the Jesus that we're serving and the Jesus that we're worshiping. Second aspect is Jesus is human being, just like us as well. The humanity. And sometimes, talaga ba human Yes, we know that. You know, we, we, we know that He was born through the Virgin Mary. In verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh. This is the doctrine of the incarnation. That God Himself took flesh in human form. And, you know, Jesus could actually just walk planet Earth 2,000 years ago as a man, but He did not choose that. He could have actually just arrived, you know, and people may not know where He came from. You know, I'm a man, I can teach you. But it took Him 30 years before He started this ministry because He took the long process of being born through a woman and becoming a baby just like us. How many of you were babies once? Can you please raise your hand? Hindi kayo singaw na biglang tumubo na lang, right? All of us were babies once, right? And, you know, Jesus was a baby once. He was a toddler once. And, you know, when he was a toddler, he was not a scholar when he was a toddler. Can you imagine if you have a baby one week old talking about the theology of Christ and theology? That's going to be scary, right? You know, he learned how to speak. He learned how to walk. He was a regular child just like us. He went through the process of humanity. And why was that? In order for the people to establish that they would actually see that there is an origin. He was born in this family. The son of Joseph, the, Joseph the carpenter, and the son of Mary. Luke chapter 1 verse 35 says, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and he is referring to Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will actually be called Holy, the Son of God. We know that what happened to Abraham and Sarah was a miracle, right? Knowing that Sarah's womb was barren, and at the age of 90, she gave birth to their son Isaac. But the, what happened to Jesus when he came out of Mary, is really no less than a miracle. How can a virgin produce a child in her womb if there's no contact with another human being? That has to be God. Amen. And this is where we establish the divinity and the humanity of Jesus because Mary really was the one who bore Jesus. The theologians would refer to Mary as Theotokos. Everybody say Theotokos. Theotokos means God-bearer. Mary is the mother of Jesus, but she is not the mother of God, okay? Because God has no mother. We know that, right? Because God has no origin. In the beginning, God is already existing, okay? This establishes really the humanity of Christ right here on earth. Galatians chapter 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
And that's the essence of why Jesus Christ came here. So that we can be redeemed. You know, uh, as I shared last week, uh, by virtue of creation, we are all children of God. You can actually trace your roots, your DNA to just one man, and that's Adam. And out of Adam came all of us. You know, he produced all of us. We are kind of like Adam's offspring by virtue of creation. But yet, by virtue of redemption, we can only be children of God when we put our faith in what Christ has done on the cross. Amen. And so he came here that we might receive adoptions as sons and daughters, children of God. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God, everybody say, one God, and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. One God and one mediator. We go to God through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus being human is the strongest argument on having a relationship with Christ. I believe He became human so that we can relate with God. Because we know and we have an understanding that God can relate with us as well. You know, He came and He touched people. He healed the sick. He even raised people from the dead. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just like us, and yet without sin. That's why when you talk about you being lonely, guess what? Jesus knows what you're going through. When you talk about people being persecuted, Jesus knows what you're going through. If you are hungry, Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. When you talk about losing a loved one, He knows that. John chapter 11, verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible says, Jesus wept. He actually shares human emotions. He understands what we're going through. He understands our plight as human beings, the weakness of a human being, a person. And yet, He was without sin. That's why He can relate with us. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for Me. He was ready to give His body for the supreme, ultimate sacrifice of all. To die for all of us. So that we can be redeemed and be saved and ultimately go back to the Father as sons and daughters of God. If Jesus is not fully human, then He cannot be a sacrifice for our sins. There has to be flesh. There has to be, you know, a matter that has to be sacrificed on the cross in order to satisfy the wrath of God. The Lord Jesus is God who put on humanity so that He could offer Himself up as a perfect an absolute sacrifice because He alone is sinless and blameless. He alone met the requirements to appease the wrath of a holy and righteous judge, God Himself. That's why I believe that as we come before Jesus every single day, we can be bold and confident that He hears our prayers. You know, as God, divine, we know that He can. That as a human being, we know that He will because He can relate with us.
I'd like to read this verse in Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God. And this is talking about Jesus. The firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. This Jesus that we worship is no ordinary God. He is one who is supreme in authority, and yet He is the ultimate kind person, kindest person that ever walked this planet. He understands our plight. Jesus definitely is fully God and fully man in one person. You know, we can actually celebrate. The reason why we come here on Sunday is a celebration of what happened 2,000 years ago. It's a celebration of what He did on that cross. And on the third day, He rose again from the dead. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our podcasts. We hope it blesses and inspires you to honor God and make disciples. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victory.org.ph or download the Victory app for free on the iTunes Store or Google Play. If you would like to share a story of God's faithfulness in your life, please visit victory.org.ph slash mystory.